are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And finally, spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. One False Move, which came out in 1992, was directed by Carl Franklin. It stars Bill Paxton, Cinda Williams, Michael Beach, Billy Bob Thornton, Jim Metzler, Earl Billings, Natalie Canarday, and Jimmy Bridges. The genre would be neo-noir crime drama. There was no fear in Star City, Arkansas. No murder. No killers. Until now. There is violence we've ever seen. What's the story on this Star City thing? You think it'd be a wild goose chase if you went down there? Welcome to Star City, boys! For Chief Dale Dixon, it's the chance of a lifetime. Follow me! After 10 years of busting people, toms, and stop sign runners, I'd kind of like to take a crack at the big time. These are dangerous people we're dealing with. Get your hands up! Last night, some folks killed a Texas State Trooper. Looks like they're headed our way, boys. Y'all have never seen Dale this exciting before. He's waiting on the bad guys with a kid waiting for Christmas. But his first shot at the big time. I think he looks at y'all like you're some kind of heroes. Well, we're... We're far from that. Sometimes, the difference between living and dying is... One false move. Wow, this was even better than I remembered. Back in 92, Siskel and Ebert were both hardcore advocates for this Carl Franklin thriller, which I believe helped to get some attention when it hit video. Seeing the artistry and fresh talent in One False Move gave me the greatest joy of any film this year. That's why I'm putting it number one. Discovering a picture like this is one of the highs of being a film critic, the real highs. That's why it's at the top of my list. I think they both even ranked it the best film of 1992. Now, I'm not sure if it is, but it's probably up there for sure. The late great Bill Paxton stars as small-town Arkansas Sheriff Dale Hurricane Dixon, who gets involved with investigating a multiple homicide in Los Angeles as the perpetrators seem to be headed his way. The three criminals on the run are Pluto, played by Michael Beach, Fantasia, played by Cinda Williams, and Ray, played by Billy Bob Thornton, who also co-wrote the screenplay. Every performance is fantastic, as the four lead actors each give nuanced performances, playing complicated folks, each trying to navigate their way through some very sticky situations. There are also some very raw scenes of violence and tension, especially one early on, which kicks off the movie, when we see just how coldly brutal Beach's Pluto can be as he savagely kills someone at a small birthday party that they have violently taken over. And we see how the violence in these situations is not helped at all by just how such a hothead Thornton's character Ray is. Ray, what you Danielle, you don't know just nothing about this. Why don't you let us go? <laughs> <laughs> If we told anybody where Marco lived, he'd kill him. Well, what the fuck do you think we're gonna do, huh? He's gonna kill me. Don't hit him, Slap your goddamn head off. Billy Bob has also got quite the scuzzed-out look, covered with a stringy mullet of hair to help really nail this point. And there are also some very touching scenes as we see the regret that Fantasia, played by Cindy Williams, feels from leaving something very important behind in her hometown. It's out of town. Oh, Lila. And then tonight you're going to have to bring my baby out to see me. And then tomorrow I'll be gone. Ronnie, please. Okay, Lila. 
And this happens to be the same place where Paxton is the sheriff, but he has clear designs on doing something grander. This comes through in several nicely written exchanges between him and two L.A. detectives, played by Metzler and Billings, also giving pitch-perfect performances. And these guys have come to town to follow up on these leads. Charlie's goddamn Yankee from Detroit, but he's a good old boy. Listen, Dale, if we talk to this guy and he's actually involved in this shit... I already told you don't know nothing about him. I'm Dale. These are dangerous people we're dealing with. I understand that. Well... Boys, about ready? Just a second. Here you go, Fern. Keep the change. Well, now there ain't no change here, Hurricane. It's a $12 check, and you just give me a 10. I'll catch you later. Is he gone? Hey, I haven't had a full meal since I met the son of a bitch. Everyone's stories converge in a direction in the third act that's slightly telegraphed, but no less interesting. And this all leads to a very tense final 10 minutes, which is superbly edited for maximum suspense. Police officer, freeze! Get your hands up, goddammit! I'll blow your fucking head off! The fuck is this? Shut up! Get on the floor! Get on the goddamn floor! Now! Who the fuck are you? Goddammit, you fucking bitch! Shut up! The fuck did you do this for, huh? Sorry, man! Milo, stay back! And all ending on a very moving final image. And now the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. The score for this film was basically a collaboration between two seasoned British guitarists who also played together with the same blues band for almost 15 years before they started doing music for movies. They are Peter Haycock and Derek Holt, and they played together for the Climax Blues Band, which had dissolved just under a decade before they scored this movie. That said, there is a running theme throughout the score, which I quite liked, and it sounds best when it's mainly all guitar, which makes sense considering the musical backgrounds of both composers. It's just a lovely melody with a sound of regret to it, which certainly coincides with the themes of this story. The best version of this theme plays over the opening credits as the camera pans across the skyline of downtown Los Angeles, leading to the shocking crime which opens up the story. And apparently, there was never actually an officially released soundtrack for this film, so there's no track listing either. But it's still lovely music, which sets the perfect melancholic tone for the story that follows. Now, the next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. It's hard to believe that it has been more than five years since Bill Paxton left us, as he was one of the most beloved actors who just left a mark on you, no matter how small the role, nor even broad of a performance that he gave. Paxton came up in the 80s, with several small but notable roles in several memorable genre movies, including Commando, Weird Science, and Streets of Fire. Of course, Paxton's big breakout occurred as the perpetually whiny but heroic Private Hudson in 1986's Aliens, which remains my all-time favorite movie. Check out that review, by the way. Yo! Stop your grinning and drop your linen. Found him. 
From that point on, Paxton became a star and a true genre staple, co-starring in several James Cameron movies besides Aliens, including True Lies and Titanic. And alongside Lance Henriksen as the only actor to be killed by a Terminator, Predator, and Alien on screen. Well, I think, because I'm not 100% sure which creature killed Henriksen's character in Alien vs. Predator. But I digress. Paxton was mostly known for broader, memorable parts in big movies like Twister and Apollo 13. It's headed right for us! It's already here. Everybody underground now! But occasionally, he would sign up for something more grounded and subtle, really showing his dramatic chops in smaller films like A Simple Plan... I want to be happy. I want a wife and kids. Me and you sitting around the porch drinking late at night. Well, goddammit, this is what it costs. And a thriller that he directed called Frailty. But in my opinion, Bill Paxton was never better than he was in this very movie. He's genuinely engaging in a performance which at first feels like a broader portrayal of an excitable small-town good old boy sheriff, but actually accumulates more and more depth as the story progresses. I love you, okay? You know that, don't you? I know that. I love that little girl in that room more than anything in this world. I know that too. Late in the movie, Dale has an exchange with Fantasia, which is pretty much the emotional high point of the movie. Both he and Cinda Williams are just fantastic in this scene, where a lot of the themes of the story come full circle, including regret. Bill Paxton ended up also just killing it later on on the HBO drama Big Love and the miniseries Hatfields and McCoys, the latter of which ended up earning him an Emmy nomination for Best Actor. And he was still bringing the heat on the big screen, right through the end, with a pair of strong supporting performances in two of the best films of 2014, actually, Edge of Tomorrow and Nightcrawler. Take a few days to think about it. No, you'll need to hire someone else, and I don't want to hold up the process. You want to be on the inside of this, man, because I'm going to be tag-teaming every call. In 2017, Bill Paxton died at the age of 61 as a result of complications from heart surgery. He left us too soon and was never fully appreciated as a dramatic actor, though it was nice to revisit him in this movie to see just how good he really was. R.I.P. Private Hudson, it was never game over for you. That brings us to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. About halfway through this film, we have the sort of setup for suspense that we have seen in literally dozens of thrillers. Our three criminals on the run are driving on a dark, empty road late at night when suddenly they find themselves being followed by a police car, who then eventually pulls them over. But the way this sequence is written, directed, and filmed still feels fresh and immediate 30 years later. Even though Fargo famously featured an equally impressive version of this same type of scene just four years later. Feel free to check out that episode, by the way. Anyways, as the police car is following, we are gradually cutting between Thornton's Ray, who's driving and starting to panic, Pluto, who is just icy cool, staring straight ahead as he tries to talk him down. Blow his goddamn head off. We're gonna pull over. We're gonna be cool. We're gonna play it by ear. We're not gonna kill him unless we have to. We're not gonna be stupid. Fantasia 
who was nervously mediating between the two of them and even the state trooper who was closely following them. He's played by Lane Beamer, and we see him calling in the plates and inquiring via radio the description of three murder suspects on the run whom he has heard about. It ends up feeling all like a mini play, with just these four characters each having starkly different reactions to an escalating situation. And then, of course, the trooper pulls them over. And we watch how Fantasia takes over the situation calmly with the police officer, explaining things to him in a reasonable manner. Well, we had California plates, but our car broke down in New Mexico, so we had to get a new car. Told you wouldn't make it, right? But he wouldn't listen to me. This one will make it, though. Make it where? Philadelphia. Mother lives there. She's sick. Raised my boyfriend, so he got stuck with the job of taking me there. Richard's. Richard's our friend. He just along for the ride. Uh, we weren't speeding or anything, were we? No, ma'am. Well, what the fuck did you stop us for then? Everything is just starting to feel run-of-the-mill for maybe a minute until it all goes wrong, though not completely in the way that you would expect. It's a brilliant high-wire sequence all based upon character, and race even plays a part, though even that's done in a relatively subtle manner. In fact, what helps make the sequence so effective is how almost all of it is filmed in a straightforward manner with the camera just focusing on one character at a time. And now the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. The scope of this story is pretty damn impressive filmmaking on Franklin's part, considering that he's able to juggle gently touching on so many different themes throughout. Class differences, racism, Big city versus small town, drug addiction, while still crafting a very tight thriller. This was the first genuinely meaty film that he had directed after a few smaller genre pieces, and that shows with a couple of awkward edits and probably a few moments when that sax-infused score got a bit overbearing. Still, any criticisms directed at this film are minor, as overall, it's clearly all orchestrated by a steady hand. Franklin would go on to have a pretty strong career in film, with the family drama a few years later, One True Think, which starred Meryl Streep and got her an Oscar nomination, along with a couple of more strong thrillers including Devil in a Blue Dress and Out of Time, which both happen to star Denzel Washington, who you know I'm a fan of. In more recent years, Franklin has shifted to directing TV and streaming shows, but several of the best ones out there, including standout episodes of Homeland, The Leftovers, and Mindhunter. Franklin has just excelled at bringing both tension and maturity to everything he helms. For kicking off a steady filmography with this underrated gem, Carl Franklin is the MVP. And he became a champion of the movie, and he and Gene Siskel were our only marketing. Uh, And so... And so a film that was only supposed to play a couple of weekends ended up, and and in three cities, ended up playing 51 markets and ended up being kind of played throughout the summer. And it was all because those guys went on and and basically were, I get get a little choked up. Because they... uh, Yeah. Well, and I... My rating for One False Move would be 4.75 stars out of 5. Happy 30th anniversary to one of the best crime thrillers of the 1990s. And if you're looking to watch One False Move, it's available to rent or buy on all major streaming platforms.
And that ends another penitent review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.